0: And sacraments and how the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts and so we'll read this Lord's Day together. Lord's Day 25 asks, since then faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use, he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the Word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the Gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant? Two, Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. And after we have listened to God's holy word, we'll sing another of the hymns uh, about the work of the Holy Spirit, hymn 48, and we'll sing stanzas one and two. beloved brothers and sisters, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. If the Apostle Paul came here to the city of Chilliwack to preach, how do you think he would be received? Today, our impression of Paul might be that he writes and perhaps preaches in quite a complicated way, full of depth and meaning, and, and we might wonder how well people around us would respond to that, how much they would, they would understand. We might expect that they would not grasp much of what the Apostle Paul is saying. But as our text tells us, when the Apostle Paul came to Corinth, he was known for preaching in a very straightforward way. He preached a very clear message, easy for all people to understand. And yet, because of this, he was mocked, and despised and certainly underappreciated by the Corinthians when they heard him. Why? Well, you see, Corinth in Paul's day was a very advanced city. The Corinthians considered themselves very, very sophisticated and, and fancy. And today, if you're a sophisticated city, it probably means you have a lot of shops selling natural products or, and places with organic in their name. But back in Greece, if you were a sophisticated city, you were filled with philosophers. You would have public debates with very careful logic and very considered arguments. And these public speeches would be filled with very fancy-sounding words. The more complicated your argument, the fancier you sounded the more popular you would be. But when Paul came to Corinth, he did not follow that custom. He had no fancy words and complicated arguments. He came, he writes in verse 3, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And so, how do you like your preaching? Do you enjoy clear, straightforward preaching? What would you think if Paul came in, in, in weakness and fear in his preaching? It's probably not what we would expect from the great Apostle Paul, right? But Paul says he, he came that way to the Corinthians very deliberately. He did it because of the way that salvation comes to people. Because it is the Holy Spirit who works faith by the preaching of the word. And so we'll study that from our scripture and from our Lord's Day this afternoon. The Holy Spirit works faith by word, and then secondly, um, sacraments. And we'll see those kind of three aspects. We'll see why we need the Holy Spirit, and why we need the Holy Spirit to work faith, and why the Holy Spirit works faith by preaching and sacraments. So firstly, why we need, first of all, the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul writes, My speech... verse 4 and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom so Paul preached very simply and he did not preach very wise sounding words very complicated words and this was not because he was unskilled because he was a bad public speaker or an, an unskilled debater Paul was a Pharisee so Paul was trained in logic in argument in public speaking in public debating and many more things And his many speeches in Acts, not to mention his written letters in the New Testament, make very clear how skilled Paul was. He was exceptionally gifted with words. And he was so exceptionally gifted that he can adapt his language and his style to whichever group he's speaking to. To Gentiles, he spoke very simply about God's creative work and what God did in Christ. To Athenian philosophers, he argued on the basis of their own idols and quoting their own poets. But in Corinth, he did neither of these things. He says he did not use the, the lofty speech or the philosophy that was popular in Corinth. He deliberately chose to come in weakness. Why? Some would argue it's because the Christian faith doesn't really make for, for very good arguments. It doesn't really make logical sense, they would say. There's no argument that can prove the Christian faith, and so they would use words like blind faith. Believing is about blind faith. You just have to ignore the the evidence of this world, and you simply have to trust God. But this is nonsense. Since God made the world, God also made the rules that, that govern the world from the rules of physics and cause and effect, to the way that human beings think and desire and love God, has made all these things. And so the only science that can truly make sense of the world is one that takes God into account. The only philosophy that actually answers all the questions of life and death is one that agrees with God's word. And the Apostle Paul knew this very well and In the book of Romans, for example, we have one long argument that argues from the the way that things are, from creation, all the way through Jesus Christ, and and it teaches us, answers all the questions of life, why the world is the way that it is, why there is so much sin and evil and misery in the world, why Jesus Christ is the only answer to all the questions that we have, and the only solution to all of our problems. So the Apostle Paul can use arguments to prove the existence of God and the need for Jesus Christ. But in Corinth, he doesn't do these things because faith does not actually come from these things. Faith does not come from fancy arguments. He says in verse 5 that he preaches, in in verse 4, he preaches in demonstration of the Spirit and power. So your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You have faith, not because some convincing argument convinced you, but only if the Holy Spirit has worked powerfully in your heart. The The message itself, the particular words that are used, have no power. The power is God's through the Holy Spirit. And so why is the Holy Spirit's power the beginning of faith? Well, verse 6 makes clear that there is wisdom in the proclamation of, of Jesus Christ and, and in preaching. When Paul says he didn't come with wisdom, it didn't mean that he was on the side of blind faith. He made arguments that don't actually make logical sense and you just have to put aside all logic in order to believe it. That wasn't his point. But there is wisdom in Jesus Christ and in the gospel of Christ crucified. But he says it's not the wisdom of this age. Human wisdom... It is all about human power. And we're all constantly guilty of this. We're trying to, to gain power and advantage for ourselves. That's what life is like from the, the moment we can walk and talk until the end. We take the best for ourselves. We, we work hard to earn money to make our own life better. We become angry or plot revenge at those who, who damage our lives or who hurt us in some way or another. But the power of God, says our text, is in Jesus Christ and in Him crucified. And so the power of God is made perfect in weakness and in death. As chapter 1 verse 18 says very, uh, as it's well known, for the word of the cross, or the message of the cross, better, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so the message of the cross the, the word of faith, it sounds foolish to the world around us because there is no power in a cross and in death. And verse 14 of our, of our text in chapter 2 continues on this theme. It says there, the natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And in the Corinthians day, the the idea of salvation coming from a crucified one. This this was the height of folly. Because the cross was the greatest instrument of torture and humiliation and death that the world had ever known. And they could not understand why anyone would rejoice in such an undignified death, much less worship someone who is crucified. And in our day, people don't necessarily understand why a cross is so humiliating. But they do struggle with the idea of why the cross is necessary. Because in order to be saved, we have to admit that we are sinners. And that we of ourselves are powerless, powerless to save ourselves. And that goes against all our human instincts to try to gain power for ourselves. As well, if we admit that we are sinners... That means that we have to admit that certain things we do are morally wrong and justifiably condemned by a just God. And in a world where life is really about finding who we are deep down and expressing our individual selves, the idea that there is a God out there who can tell us that myself is is morally wrong, that idea is, is preposterous. It's folly. Who are you? Or who is God? to tell me that what I do or who I am is wrong. And so both in Paul's day and in our day, the idea that Christ crucified for sinners is the only way to salvation is preposterous unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. And that is exactly what he has done as verse 12 says, we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. This message is is made clear in the scriptures and salvation is given to us freely but we have to understand it and the only way to do so is by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And so what does this mean for us? It means that if we want to grow in faith, we need the Holy Spirit. Do you ever find yourself plagued by doubts or questions? Are you struggling with sins and wishing that you could live a more godly life? I can give you answers and practical tips to, to defeat sin and temptation in your life. and I'm always happy to do so. But what you need most is the Holy Spirit and spiritual wisdom. Only He can give you the strength to resist temptation, a greater love for God in your life, a greater faith to trust God and understand the things of God. And only He can truly comfort you in your doubts. And so you need to be busy with prayer. Pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pray as, the, as Paul does in a different letter, in the letter to the Ephesians. Pray that God may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know Him better. So the hearts, the eyes of our heart may be enlightened, so we will know the hope to which He has called us. Only the Holy Spirit working truth in our hearts can give us faith and hope and knowledge about God. And the Holy Spirit does not give us complete understanding all at once. And at times, our sinful blindness, our sinful stubbornness can, can block our view of God and God's truth. But when we pray to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit, God will certainly hear that prayer and He will give us the Holy Spirit so that more and more we will understand the things freely given us by God. And that takes us to our second point, why we need faith. The Holy Spirit does not just save us on His own, though. That is to say, he works through means. If the Holy Spirit did not do that, if he, if he just saved us on his own, we would have mysticism. Mystical religions have always been very popular because they're very mysterious and we all love mystery. Mystery is exciting. And mystical religions will have many exciting and mysterious sounding sayings. They'll talk a lot about soul and essence, about feelings and sensing God. Christian mystics have been known to say things like about being silently lost in God and talk about arousing the soul to to love. Mysticism says that you just have to open yourself up to being led by the Holy Spirit. You don't need anything else. And if you just open yourself up enough to the Holy Spirit, then you will have peace. And mysticism is is attractive, not just because it's mysterious, but also because there aren't really any rules to such a religion. You can basically believe whatever you want to believe and do whatever you want to do. And if anyone questions you, you can talk about how you felt led by the Spirit to do it. Or you heard God's still, small voice telling you to, and you're off the hook. No one can judge you. And so there have been many Christian mystics throughout history that have talked about how if you just open up your soul to the Holy Spirit, that's how you are saved. And they've even talked about how true Christians are perfect because there aren't really any laws anymore so long as everything you do is led by the Spirit. And this false teaching is still alive and well today in some, probably especially in Pentecostal churches, in some of them. Some of these Pentecostal churches, their worship services are full of wild and crazy things because they're so-called being carried about by the Holy Spirit. And Christians have been known to do very sinful things, but claiming that they were right because they felt the call of God. But we also might make the same mistake today. With our, with our strong focus on God's covenant, that we are too quick to presume our salvation when the Holy Spirit is not actually working in our hearts. It's possible for any of us to be baptized as a baby, to grow up in a Christian family, to attend church our entire life, and therefore assume that we are saved. But we actually are not, because the Holy Spirit is not working in our hearts, and we do not have true, personal, living faith in Jesus Christ. And you might be able to tell that this is true of you if your life does not match your confession. If you go to church faithfully on Sundays, but during the week, your life is no different than the unbelievers around you. If you indulge in the same lusts and overindulgence that they do, then you actually do not have faith. And that was the problem with many people in the Bible, from the Sadducees in Jesus' day to the Galatians, many of the Galatians in Paul's day. Or your life might be scrupulously clean on the outside. And everyone may know you as a good Christian person, but only you know that the truths of the gospel have not actually penetrated to your heart. It's all on the outside. You don't truly see yourself as, as a, a dirty sinner but as a pretty good person who just makes some small mistakes sometimes. And you've convinced yourself that God will be pleased with you because of your exemplary life of service. And that was the problem with many Pharisees in Jesus' day. But our chapter makes very clear that the Holy Spirit does not work in some sort of mystical way, but He works through true faith in Jesus Christ alone as verse 4 says of our, of our chapter. His, Paul's preaching, his speech, and his message were not in plausible words of wisdom and in demonstration of the Spirit, but, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the whole point of Paul's preaching is that the Holy Spirit will come in their hearts and work faith. And verse 14, as we've already talked about that verse, it it talks about it as well. It speaks about the natural person, the unbeliever. And it talks about how the natural person may know the things of the Spirit of God, but they do not accept them, for they are folly to them. Accepting the things of God, that's faith. You cannot, you do not just have to know what God says and be able to say the right words but you have to truly believe that they are true. It is amazing how many commentaries and books can be written by people who are incredibly knowledgeable about the Bible, even the, the original languages of the Bible and Israelite culture. And they know about more about the Bible, perhaps, than most of us. But they do not accept them as true. They don't understand their meaning and their truth for them personally. And so the Holy Spirit must work in our heart's faith so that we accept the things of God for ourselves. Each of us personally must know Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins. Each of us must believe that we of ourselves are worthless, gross sinners, but that Jesus Christ, both God and man, was sent by God the Father into this world to live and to die for our sins, and that He has fully paid For my sins and for all the sins of those who trust Him. Do you believe that? Do you accept these things as true for you? That means you have the Spirit of God. Only He can reveal them to you. And what about if you struggle to believe? If you sometimes have have doubts and questions, do you then just have to give up No, the solution is the same as before, prayer. Pray that God will graciously give you His Spirit so that you may believe and you may accept the things of God, even though they they seem so foolish to the world and that sometimes if worldly thinking gets into our minds, they sometimes seem foolish to us. So pray that God will give you the Holy Spirit and will, by the Holy Spirit, give you the mind of Christ so that you will accept these things. But there's more we can do than prayer. And that's the subject of our third point that the Holy Spirit works faith through the preaching of the Word and sacraments. If we stop there, if we just stop at the fact that the Holy Spirit works faith, our religion is a little bit mis- less mysterious, perhaps, than the, the mystics, but suffers from many of the same problems. Because your religion then can be whatever you want it to be. Our confession as you can tell as you read through, was often written against the Roman Catholic Church specifically. And on this topic, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that you don't actually have to know what you believe. You don't have to understand the Bible, spend a lot of time studying it. You do have to have faith, but the most important thing is that you trust the church. As long as you belong to the church and you have faith that the clergy know what they're talking about, then you have saving faith. You have to have faith. But what you believe is not that important. And this, of course, can describe quite a number of very different, varying churches and quite a number of people who call themselves Christians today. There are many churches around who don't have many confessions, just a brief statement of faith of a few sentences. Now, in one sense, the gospel is not that complicated. It can, it can sim- truly be stated in a, a couple of sentences. Our Lord Day does this twice, in fact. In answer 66, it says, This is the promise of the gospel. God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That is a one-sentence summary of the gospel. In one sense, if you simply believe that as true, You have true faith, and you are saved in Christ. And it repeats the idea in the next, in both the question and answer of 67, where it tells us that the gospel and the sacraments assure us that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. It's not that complicated. And so every single sermon... We call it preaching of the gospel because every single sermon must have at its heart that gospel message that we have salvation only through Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and His, his suffering and death is ours if we trust Him. But, but there can be more to preaching than just that basic message. Faith can be deeper than just I believe that I am a sinner and God loves me and Jesus has died for me. Because the gospel changes everything about our life. There's always more to learn about ourselves and and the depths of our sin and, and how we can defeat sin in our life. And there's always more to learn about God and His infinite love for us through Christ and all that He has done in Jesus Christ. And that's why even though Paul decided among the Corinthians to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, he was still able to preach so powerfully and to preach so such, such a varied gospel as we can read in, the, in our letter. He wrote letters to the Corinthians that strongly encouraged them and strongly warned them exactly how they must live. Letters that still apply to us in our lives today. And so the preaching of the gospel can be... so so varied and so variously applicable, even while it still has at its center that one main message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so it is, as our Lord's Day reminds us, it is through the preaching of the gospel here in the worship service that is the main way that the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts. As verse 4 says, the main thing is not complicated arguments, but the Spirit working through the preaching. And so verse 7 tells us that the task of the church is to impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. And when we read those words, we might think again of mysterious religions and and mysterious things. But, he says, this is a wisdom that God decreed before the ages for our glory. And in the end, in verse 10, he says, these things God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. And so faithful ministers of God's word must preach the gospel so that sinners are converted and believers are instructed. And so ministers work hard to write Sermons that are faithful to scripture, but also have a, a varied message, a message that speaks to both believers and unbelievers, something that is understandable for the experienced and mature believer, but that also but that also there is something there for the young child to grasp as well, not because it is the minister's task to to convince various people of the truth of the gospel, but because the Holy Spirit uses human words to work His wisdom and His faith in our hearts. And the New Testament makes clear that it is, it is especially through the preaching of the gospel in the worship service that the Holy Spirit works faith. And that's also why our Lord's Day focuses on the preaching. But the Holy Spirit can work through our teaching as well. When elders go to comfort and admonish the congregation, when deacons go to bring aid and advice, when any of us go to comfort a brother or a sister, or warn a straying brother or sister, or share the gospel with a questioning neighbor or friend, we are bringing the gospel, and the Holy Spirit can use our words to work or strengthen and faith. And this is a wonderful encouragement to ministers, to office bearers, to any of us when we have to go to visit a a straying sister or a hurting brother, we often spend a long time thinking, what are the the right words to say? What is the, the exact thing that if I say, I will convince them of the error of their ways, or I will bring comfort to their hurt? But the truth is, there is no perfect word, no exact right thing to say, because it is not our words that will convince or comfort it is the Holy Spirit working faith and he uses the Word of God and so as we talk to others we just have to bring the Word to study the scriptures ourselves to be prepared with some helpful text and to share the gospel and the, the comfort and the admonitions of the gospel as best we can and most of all we come back to prayer pray that the Holy Spirit will give us the words and we will use our words, which are really His words of the gospel, to work faith. And so we see that the Holy Spirit does not work by mysticism. He works faith, understanding and acceptance of God's word, personal acknowledgement of sin and trusting in Jesus for salvation. And He works faith not by magic, but by the means of the gospel, especially its preaching. And so then, for the Holy Spirit to work, we need to make use of those means. We must listen to the gospel, and especially to its preaching. And so are you listening. That means that we must be here. We must attend worship when we are able, every time we are able. We must be well-rested and prepared to listen in faith. Because the truth is that there is no middle ground in faith. Our Lord's Day talks about how the Holy Spirit uses the preaching to both work faith and to strengthen faith. And the truth is that if we are not having our faith strengthened, our faith is being weakened. If we're not listening to the preaching of the gospel regularly, we're hearing the truths of the world as we are being bombarded by the many voices out there. And we'll find our faith weakened and we'll find ourselves more and more prone to temptation and doubt. And so part of treating the Lord's Day as holy, as separate to the Lord, is preparing for the Sunday, being as rested as much as possible, and then truly listening to the preaching, hearing it with ears ready to hear, ready to apply it to our own lives. Each week as we hear the gospel call of Christ, The admonitions to repent of our sins. The comfort that all our sins are completely forgiven in Jesus Christ. As we are encouraged by the hope that God has truly forgiven us all our sins through Christ. As we are encouraged to live a life of love for the benefit of others in Jesus' name. Each time these things are preached to us again, we need to take hold of these truths again. Praise God for them. And believe them. Believe that they are true. Repent. Confess. Glory in Christ. And praise God. And so, brothers and sisters, if this is the first time you are hearing the gospel, believe it. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Acknowledge that of yourselves you are are a sinner. And you need these sins forgiven. And the only way is through Christ and His death on the cross for you. And if this is the thousandth time you are hearing this gospel message, believe it again. Christ crucified is the only way to God. And it is how your sins are washed away again each time you sin. And then go out and and live out your faith, growing each day as you study God's word. But especially each Sunday as we worship God, hear his word preached, and the Holy Spirit, by this preaching, strengthens our faith. Amen.